Today, we pick back up where we left off, God making an everlasting covenant with man after the flood had destroyed all that is unnatural in the eyes of God. So as always, we ask our Father to bless us with wisdom and understanding as we dive back into His Word, and we begin Genesis chapter 9. Amen. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Disciples' Haven. Just to make a quick recap, the waters from the flood have receded, and God made a promise to mankind that there will always be cold and heat, summer and winter, and that He would never smite anything living as He did during the flood. And when God makes a promise, you can count on it. And we begin now with chapter 9, verse 1, and it reads, And God blessed Noah and his sons. And said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. And the fear of you, and the dread of you, shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man, and you be ye fruitful, and multiply, bring forth abundantly into the earth, and multiply therein. We covered quite a bit there, didn't we? Well, let's break it down real quick so we can understand what we just learned from God. From verses 1 and 2, God is telling us that we have power over all the animals of the earth and of the sea. In shorter words, we're at the top of the food chain. In verse 3, God is telling us that we have animals that can be eaten for meat, but clean animals. And then in verse 4, God basically gives us instructions that we are to eat clean animals as long as we butcher them properly and humanely. You don't torture an animal, and you don't cause its stress before killing the animal. And when you do kill an animal, you need to bleed it out. Why? Well, if an animal has been distressed, metabolic waste builds up in the blood before it can be expelled. Besides, the meat also looks better when the animal was butchered properly and humanely. Now, I'm not a hunting expert, but I absolutely want to go hunting for my first time this year. And the research I've done when hunting an animal, all hunters bleed their kill. Pretty amazing how God gives us these instructions since the very beginning, isn't it? Now, going into verse 5 and 6, God begins to lay down the law. God basically saying in verse 6 that whosoever murders, then he, God, requires that murderer's life. Why? To await God's judgment. Why else? I can't tell you how much of our prison problems that we have as a nation would be solved if we followed God's law. For example, here's a quick fact for you. According to a study conducted by the U.S. Department of Justice in 2018, 
55% of the U.S. prison population consists of inmates serving time for violent offenses. Out of that 55%, an estimated 14% of sentenced state prisoners were serving time for murder or non-negligent manslaughter, which is about 177,700 inmates. And another 13% were serving time for rape or sexual assault, which is about 162,000. As of December 31, 2018, 14% are sentenced prisoners for murder, another 13% for non-negligent manslaughter, and another 13% for sexual assault. That means rape people. If we follow God's law, soon as that person is found guilty, then do away with him as God commanded. I mean, why are we keeping them housed and fed for 30 plus years to execute them at that point? Or why are we just even giving life sentences? It seriously mind boggles me how idiotic our justice system is and how pathetic we as a nation have become. I mean, we give more rights to these criminals than we do the law-abiding citizens. <sighs> but I digress. Back to God's word. Verse 8. And God spoke unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. Now that is a promise by our Father. Do you notice in verse 9 how he begins with, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you. That double I is for emphasis. It Basically, God is telling us, you can take my word to the bank. I'm not going to destroy all of mankind or the beast of the earth uh, with another flood. And sure enough, we haven't had a flood at that magnitude as what Noah experienced. And when God makes promises, as I stated earlier, you can have faith in that and know you can take his word for it. Verse 12, And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And here we have God not only telling us a promise, but visually giving it to us. And of course, we're talking about the rainbow. God in these verses basically telling us that every time you see my rainbow, remember it's a promise between me and you that I will not destroy the earth and those who live in it by a massive flood of water. Not only that, but when you are looking at, at the rainbow, God says he's also looking upon it too, so he remembers the everlasting covenant, that, that promise between him and every living creature on the flesh. Now, I can't help but go into this a little bit. We as humans tend to, tend to do some of the most despicable things ever in the sight of God. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about us today, 
But as we read more and more of God's Word, we see that people in general have always, in some form or another, made a mockery of God and what He has given us. Take, for example, these last few verses we just read. God gave us a rainbow as a promise, a blessing, if you will. And what do we do as humans? We turn a symbol that was meant as a visual reminder between God and all of mankind and turn it into a symbol of lust, unnaturalness, and fornication. Yes, you know exactly what I'm referring to. They took what was meant for God's children to be reminded and put it on a flag and prance it around in parades where women walk around with sexual toys strapped to their waists and men walking around naked or on leashes being held by other men. It seriously angers me to the core. I can only wonder what God thinks of the buffoonery we have created. And oh yes, there is a lecture on that topic coming up in the near future. But anyways, back to verse 17. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. Now, a quick lesson real quick. Who was the father of Canaan? Ham was. And who was the mother of Ham? Well, let's keep reading to find out. But the lesson has already begun by saying Ham is the father of Canaan. Verse 19. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. In other words, through them, the Adam lineage, the true Hebrews, the true Adamic people, would come from. All the other races were still in existence, but Noah's sons would create the population in which Jesus Christ would be born. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. So here we have Noah. He got drunk and was basically naked. Now, at this time, the only law that was given was that of taking a life. Nothing else about strong drink or anything. So stay with me here. Verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. Here we have another reminder of who was Canaan's father, which again was Ham. Maybe God's trying to tell us something here. Well, what does it mean to uncover your father's nakedness? If you turn your Bible to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 8, we find God telling Moses exactly what this means. And what does God say? The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. Now, let's go to chapter 20 of the book of Leviticus, verse 11. And God continues to elaborate more about what uncovering your father's nakedness means. And the man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Wait a minute, Jose. Is this saying what I think it's saying? Yep. Uncovering your father's nakedness meant it was an incestual affair. And this is how Noah's wife gave birth to Canaan. Verse 23. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. In other words, Shem and Japheth took a garment and covered their father and walked away. They didn't partake in what Ham had done. And Noah awoke from his wine, 
and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Now, did God curse Canaan? No, he didn't. Noah did. And rightfully so, because he was angry. I mean, he was hurt. How could his own son sleep with his own mother, that is to say, Noah's wife? Of course he's going to be ticked off. Verse 26. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood three hundred and fifty years, and all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. So we have this one man who was perfect in God's eyes, lived through the influx of fallen angels, kept his pedigree pure, listened to God's words, and followed his orders all the way through. And Noah lived a very fruitful and long life. I mean, 950 years old. Talk about a life. But as I said in the previous episode, it seems to be a never-ending cycle. God does good for man. Man then turns that good into something unholy and evil, only to rile God's wrath to make everything good again for man. And we saw that here with Ham having an incestual affair with Noah's wife. Ham knew it was wrong. I mean... These people saw what the people before the flood were doing with fallen angels. Of course he knew incest was wrong and immoral. But the important thing, Noah did his job and did his job well to the very end. That is all God can expect of us. Thank you for joining me again on another episode of The Disciples Haven. Stay tuned for the next episode where we will discuss the descendants of Noah's children and how we see the overspreading of the families and to be able to recognize how this lineage remains pure to bring the Savior of the world. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to like, share, and leave a review if you're so kind. Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram where I post when the newest episodes will air. Until next time, disciples, go in peace. Peace.